Let's pray. Father, Son, and Spirit, we thank you, Triune God, that you love us and that you have brought us into your family by grace. And we pray now that you would pour out your Spirit on me and all of us, that we would not just be hearers of the word, but doers of it. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning, family. It's so good to see you on this June day. I'm grateful for all of you. If, um, if you're visiting, we want to especially welcome you. If we've been in a sermon series that we just started two weeks ago that we're going to be in the summer on the book of James, and we're calling this series um, A Faith That Matters, and the reason is because James is really giving us a faith, a practical faith that works in every single part of your life. James doesn't just want you to have a transactional faith that is just about getting into heaven when you die, but he wants to give you a comprehensive faith that is about living in the kingdom of heaven now. It is about following Jesus and bringing all of your life under his kingship so that every single part of your life in your world are affected by Jesus and his lordship. So it's a faith that matters. Uh, last week, we saw that transformation, this transformational faith, often comes through suffering, unfortunately, and we learned about that. And this week, we're learning that this transformational faith hinges on and is grounded in and directed by the Word of God, the Word of God. If you're a person who likes to take notes, you could say this is sort of the dominant thought for today, that if you want to change life, you need a change relationship to the Word of God. If you want to change life, you need a change relationship to the Word of God. So we're going to read the scripture um, together, John, from James chapter 1. I'm so happy that so many of our um, students and children are here with us during the summer. So if you guys want to pay attention to this as we read, look for all the times that James talks about the Word of God in the text, okay? You could even circle it, pay attention to that, a little star around it, whatever. So let's read God's Word together from James chapter 1, verse 18. The Father chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but not, does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. People of God, this is the word of the Lord. So if you were following along with the text, and I hope you were, you'll notice that there were three distinct ways that James talks about how we relate to the Word of God. See, I didn't make this up, y'all. He's a, it's a three-point thing. That's what preachers do. And so if you look at verse 18, you'll say that he says that he brought us birth through the Word of Truth. And then if you look at verse 21, you say that we're called to accept the Word that is planted in you. 
And then if you look at verses 22 and 23, you'll see that we're called to not merely listen to the word, but to do it. So these are his three great ways that we relate to the word of God. First, we are brought to birth through the word of God. Second, we are those who listen to the word of God. And third, we are those who actually do the word of God. New birth, new authority, new life. All right, so let's, let's unpack those things. First of all, we are people who are born of the word of God. Look at verse 18. You, you know, you might not know this. this is, James has sort of a funny history. A lot of people um, have often in the past, in church history, not actually liked and even despised the book of James. Martin Luther is probably the most famous one. He once called the book of James an epistle of straw. That means that he thought it was worthless and he didn't care about it. The reason was, of course, is because Luther cared deeply about the doctrine of justification by grace alone. He loved Paul, he loved the book of Romans, and he thought the book of James was worthless because it taught a works righteousness that has nothing to say about grace. Well, I like Luther, but beg to differ, Mr. Luther. Uh, James, I think, is actually a very powerful book that is all about grace, and we see right here it beginning in verse 18, in which James says, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth. For James, before Christianity is something that you do or something that you practice, it is something that happens to you. It is a supernatural change. It is an existential renewal in which God comes into your life through the gospel, the word of truth, and makes you new, gives you a new birth. And I love birth. It's a great analogy because I think all of you participated in your own birth, did you not? And yet you did not bring yourself to birth. It was only through the pain of another person, your dear mother, uh, that you were brought to birth. Not yourself, but through another. And it's the same with the new birth, with the spiritual birth. You do not bring yourself, you do not make yourself a Christian. It is only through God's initiation and through the pain and sacrifice of Jesus and the gift of the Spirit that anyone becomes a Christian to the first place. And that is unanimous in the New Testament. New birth. Paul says it in Titus. He says, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Peter says it. He says, in his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Jesus, of course, said it in John chapter three to Nicodemus. You must be, do you remember? Born again if you wanna be in the kingdom of God. So it is the unanimous witness of the New Testament that the beginning place to be a follower of Jesus is to get the new birth, to be born again through the word of truth. Now, this is what I wanna say. Some of you, when I talk about being born again, might have shivers up your spine uh, because it's just a phrase that has a lot of cultural baggage in our society, right? It's, it almost, for a lot of people, it means like a certain kind of Christian, like a conservative Christian or an emotional Christian or a charismatic Christian or a Christian who wears socks with their sandals, you know, or things like that. You know, it's like a, it's like a certain type of Christian, the way that like moose tracks is a type of ice cream or something. It's a kind of Christian. But friends, like born again Christianity is not a type of Christianity. James, Jesus, Paul, they all say it's the only kind of Christian that there is. There's only one kind of Christian and it's a born again Christian because a Christian is only made by the initiating gracious work of God when he enters into a person's life to make them new. I love um, the story of Sam Jackson. Do y'all remember Sam Jackson? Some of y'all new folks don't know Sam, but Sam um, died a few years ago. He was a great saint in our church. Um, Sam, listen to Sam's story. So I, I was fascinated by it when I did his service a few years ago. But Sam grew up as a Presbyterian. He was 
born in the Presbyterian church, baptized in the Presbyterian church, raised in the Presbyterian church, married in the Presbyterian church, baptized his own kids in the Presbyterian church, became an elder in the Presbyterian church. I mean, this guy was like moral, religious, faithful, the epitome of good Presbyterian Christian man, right? When Sam was about 42, he was sitting in a meeting and guess what happened? He heard the gospel. This good Christian Presbyterian man, elder in his church, heard the gospel, heard this good news of grace through Jesus, heard that he was not saved by his good behavior and his in his moral discipline, but he was saved only by free grace through the gift of God, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And Sam believed in it. And, he, and guess what? Sam Jackson was born again. And he became a new person. And he began to live differently. And so what I want you to see from that amazing story about Sam Jackson, our very own Sam, is that Presbyterians need to get born again. <laughs> you know, people, just because you were born in the garage does not make you a car. Just because you were born in the Presbyterian church does not make you a Christian. What we need is an encounter by the Holy Spirit that we might be born again. And then what he says happens to us is we become the first fruits of all he created, which means that God takes the gospel, the word of truth of Jesus, and he puts it in our barren desert soul, and he begins to bring out, he's like a farmer. He loves to bring out new life in his people. He begins to make us new. That's not a work you can do for yourself. That's only a work that the God, the Father, can do for you through the Spirit. And so that would be the first question that you should ask yourself in this first point is, are you born again? Or are you just a Presbyterian? Or are you just a churchgoer? Are you born again? What does that mean? It means just to say to the Father, Lord, I can't live life on my own. I can't save myself. Have mercy on me. I want to receive the grace of Jesus that saves me from my sin and delivers me into new life. Send the Holy Spirit into my life and make me new. That's the first part of the way we relate to the Word of God. We believe it and we receive it and the Spirit makes us new. Okay, we're born of the Word. But second though, we are those who listen to the word. Look at verses 19 through 21. So after a person gets born again and becomes a follower of Jesus, what do you do? You just sit around and wait for heaven? No. Do you just kind of sit there passively and hope that God gives you a spiritual lobotomy or something? No. What do you do? You become a person who seeks to listen to and live accordance to the word of God. That's what followers of Jesus do. They listen to the word of God attentively and they seek to orient their lives around it. So look at verses 19 through 21. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. James says, you want a faith that matters? You want a transformational faith? Here's what you do. Learn to listen. Get rid of your proud, angry, know-it-all, angry spirit and humbly accept the word that is planted in you. You know, listening is the key to all healthy relationships. All healthy relationships. If you want to be a better father or mother, if you want to be a better parent, if you want to better be a child, if you want to be a better boss or a better employee, if you want to be a better neighbor or friend, if you want to be a better citizen, learn to listen. I'm not good at listening. 
I'm really good at talking. That's kind of what I've, you know, <laughs> what I've, I'm good at, and, and, I have, and I have strong opinions about things. And so I've learned, it's taken me about 20 years of marriage, actually, to realize what a terrible listener I am and how I've really hurt my wife, Sarah, and my kids at times because I haven't learned how to listen. And even now, I find myself sometimes sitting in a meeting and I'm looking at the person talking and I'm nodding my head, but I realize about three or four minutes in that I haven't heard a word that anyone has said. And that's never happened to any of you in my meetings with you. But, um, but this, this, does, this does happen to me. And we live in a society in which listening is just a lost art. We are, we are polarized in our tribes and we are not able to listen and hear each other anymore. And James says, if you wanna become a changed person, you've gotta learn to listen. Because it's only when you learn to listen can you hear the most important voice, which is the word of God, as he says, to humbly accept it. If you want a better heart and a godly mind and a cleaner mouth and more productive hands, here's what you do. Use your ears. Use your ears to listen to the word of God, which now for followers of Jesus has become our guide and our authority in all things. Look what James says about the Bible in verse 25. This is really interesting. He calls it the perfect law that gives freedom. Isn't that funny? A funny phrase. A law that gives freedom? I mean, this sounds so strange in modern years. We think of law as restricting freedom. He says the law gives freedom. You know, we're, we're, this is strange to us because we are inheritors of the 17th and 18th century European enlightenment. This week, we're celebrating Independence Day, 4th of July. You know, hot dogs, fireworks, you know, it's going to be great, y'all. But, you know, one, one of the things that we celebrate as Americans is that we have a unique experience of freedom that is wonderful. At the same time, you have to, maybe some of you know this, that our whole notion of freedom that was inherited and then written about by our early American fathers and mothers was given to them and they learned it from the 17th and 18th century European Enlightenment philosophers. And their understanding of freedom was not the biblical notion of freedom, it was the philosophical notion of negative freedom, which is freedom from constraint. That to flourish as a human being means to be free of constraint, free of restriction, free of monarchy. And so that has become our notion of freedom, freedom from constraints. Now, sometimes that's a good thing, that's awarded us many privileges as a nation, but in other ways, over a couple hundred years, that has become distorted and radicalized to the extent that now our notions of freedom is that there is no greater authority over myself than me. That I am the only one who can determine right and wrong for myself. I am the only one who can determine the right way and the wrong way for myself. And the words of literally the Supreme Court of our land, written by Anthony Kennedy in his famous Supreme Court case, at the heart of freedom is the right to define one's own concept of existence, the meaning of the universe and of the mystery of human life. That's the concept of freedom as freedom from constraints. Now, here's why that's not tenable. Because it doesn't work. Freedom is not the absence of constraints. It's limiting yourself to the right constraints. Think think of a fish. Kids, if you were to go home this afternoon to your fish tank, if you have one, and and reach your hands in and grab your, your guppy and say, I'm setting you free, and you, and you flip him out onto the floor, your fish will not, you know, cry for joy that he has been liberated from the oppressive watery confines of his aquatic prison. No, he'll 
suffocate and die because the only way a fish is free is when it's constrained to the limitations of the water because it takes oxygen not through the air but through H2O. And it's the same with birds and it's the same with airplanes. If they do not constrain and restrict themselves to the laws of aerodynamics, they'll crash. Yet if they do align and restrict themselves rightly with the law of aerodynamics, they'll soar. And it's the same with humans. That the only way we'll soar, the only way we'll be free, the only way that we'll be fully human is not being free of all constraints, but limiting, limiting ourselves to the constraints for which we were made. And we know those constraints in and through the Word of God. You know, you would never ignore your car manual. I mean, you could do it if you want and never change your oil. You won't go to prison, but you won't have a car in about 18 months, right? And it's the same way with the Word of God. It, it is the law that gives freedom. And so when God says things like don't commit adultery and don't have sex outside of marriage and give 10% of your money away and, and, and keep the Sabbath, when it says these things, God is not trying to cramp our style and limit our, our fun. What he's trying to do is show us the way of life, the way of human flourishing so that we can learn to be those who soar. It is the law that gives freedom. And so James says, if you want to grow, if you want to change, be an attentive listener. Don't just study it, verse 21, humbly accept it. Don't just read it, let it read you. Let it get in you. Let it strike you like the sword, Hebrews 4. You know, let it, let it don't just read it for information, let, read it for transformation, let it challenge you, provoke you. So that would be our question in this point is, if you are a person that has been born again and who is seeking to follow Jesus, do you prioritize listening to the Word of God every day in your life above all other things? Do you take time for it, whether it's five minutes or, or, or more? Do you take time for it? Do you attentively listen to it? Uh, do you approach it and read it, not like you're reading your Twitter or your Instagram feed or a web page, but because you expect to hear the voice of God? You say like Samuel, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Do you come to it, ready to submit to it as you're as your authority. If you don't know how to read the Bible daily, we can teach you. We actually have a, a PDF that we've created to teach you how to read the Word of God and meditate on it every day. And I'll send it out this week with my weekly email again. So we're people who not just are born of the Word of God, but who listen to the Word of God. Now, one last thing though, and this is very important. He says, we're not just born of the Word and we don't just listen to the Word, we do the Word. Look at verses 22 through 27. This is very simple. He says, do not merely listen to the Word, do what it says. Real faith is demonstrated not by our words or our beliefs, but what we do with our lives. A religion that does not exhibit real change in life and behavior is worthless deception. Worthless. And he uses this great metaphor of the mirror. It's a great metaphor, and we all understand it because we all love mirrors. We all love to look in mirrors. We do it when no, people aren't looking at us. You know, you know you like mirrors. It's okay. And when you look in a mirror, you are, two things are happening. I don't know if you ever thought about this before, but you are not just seeing what you currently are, but you're seeing what you ought to be. You're not just giving a picture of yourself, but you're giving a suggestion about what you should do. So for example, you look in the mirror and you see that your hair is disheveled or there's dirt on your face or there's ketchup on your shirt and there's lettuce in your teeth. Then what you should do is walk away from the mirror and respond to the image that you saw. So you should get a comb and you should change your shirt and you should wash your face and get some floss, right? 
So to look in the word of God and see what you see and then go away and do something in response. And James says that the height of foolishness is a person who looks in the mirror, who sees something that needs to be changed and then walks away and does nothing. You know, I was chuckling to myself doing this sermon because this literally happened to me this week. I kid you not. I was in my house. One of my girls was doing my hair. This sometimes happens to you when you have four daughters. But they were, uh, they were doing my hair and they did this ridiculous hairdo where I had like a like a, a part right down the middle of my head and then the hair, they'd use hair gel and so my hair was swooping out like this and we were all laughing about it. We were looking in the mirror. It was super funny. And then I just, you know, forgot about it and so I went outside and I was talking to my neighbor <laughs> and, and uh, I noticed he kept, his eyes kept drifting up <laughs> to, to my head and I, I was trying to figure out why. I was like, I'm not wearing a hat. Is he? And then I suddenly realized it and I said to him, I've got weird hair, don't I? And <laughs> And yes, you do. So in some ways, I, I, was the, I was the fool in his parable. You know, I looked in the mirror, I saw what needed to be changed, and I did nothing. And James says the person who looks into the word of God, lets it cut, listens to it hard, lets it provoke, shows you what needs to be changed, and then walks away and does nothing is the epitome of foolishness. You know, to use the words of uh, Dallas Willard, it's like passing the, the written part of your driver exam and thinking that you've done it. You've never even gotten into a car. And so you're ones who look into the word of God and then you do something about it. This has happened to me so many times. I mean, I was reading, um, a couple years ago, I was reading Matthew 18, and uh, Jesus said something about, you know, if you have, if somebody has something, if you have something against somebody because they've hurt you, just go to them and talk to them person to person. And I, the fool that I am, I literally thought to myself, oh, I should preach about that to my people because I'm sure they have that problem. And then the Spirit of God said to me, you've got that problem. Because I knew at that time there was this relationship in my life where somebody had hurt me in a way that they didn't even realize it. Instead of addressing it, I had actually just sort of stuffed it and acted like everything was okay. And instead what was happening is we were becoming increasingly estranged and I was nursing real bitterness in my heart. But I ignored God. I ignored the scripture. I ignored the command of Jesus. And then a couple weeks later, it got worse. And then I heard that passage again and I ignored him again. And then finally, I listened to him and I went to the person and it was really difficult, but it was really beautiful. And God just, Jesus just broke, into, op, op, broke open a new thing in our relationship of depth. And then I went and told my staff about it. And I said, if Jesus is saying this to you, you should respond. And then about three people came to me that week. And I, <laughs> so I was real thankful for that. Anyway, so we are people. We are people who are called not to be Christians, but to be disciples. Those who don't just know a lot about Jesus, but who, are, who Jesus is our master. And we are seeking to follow him with costly obedience. No, Presbyterians need to hear this, friends. We, the gifts that we have given to the world as Presbyterians are, uh, you know, representative government committees and, and, and robust biblical theology, right? We love our theology. We love what we know. We love our knowledge. And James would say to us, well done, Presbys. Well done, you have so much knowledge. Well done, you know the Bible. What are you doing? Is it changing you? Are you living differently? Are you responding to the word of God? Are you letting it change your speech? Are you letting it change your life? Letting it change your relationships? Without that, worthless. And then finally, he tells us some things we should be doing. He gets very practical. In verses 26 and 27, he says, here's a couple of things. He just wants to give some examples, a couple of things. If you are really born again and listening to the word of God and doing it, this is some things that should be showing up in your life. Verse 26 your speech, I'm not going to talk about that here because we're going to do a sermon on it in a couple of weeks. But basically, he says, if you think that you're a Christian and you are gossiping and complaining and you're always getting into trouble with your words and talking to people about behind their back, there's a good sign you're not converted. 
I mean, sorry, y'all, I'm not saying this, he is. <laughs> but then, verse 27, he says, he, just, he says this, this amazing thing. He says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. The commentators that I read this week said James is trying to sum up the whole Old Testament law and say that if, if you are keeping and following the, the word of God, these two great things should be showing up in your life. First of all, personal holiness, that you're keeping yourself polluted from the world, that you're getting rid of all moral filth, that you are seeking to live a life of holiness and purity in your speech, in your sexuality, in your money, in your, in your life of work, that in your relationships, you are seeking, you are battling against sin in your life. You're seeking to live a life of holiness that is pleasing to God. That's the first thing that should be showing up in your life. But the second thing, which seems very different, is that you should be someone who is giving yourself for the most socially vulnerable of the earth. He's drawing here from what we know in the Old Testament is often called the, court, the, for, the quartet of the vulnerable, the, the orphan, the widow, the immigrant, and the poor. He's saying if you are really listening to the word of God and doing it, you will not just be a person who is living a life of personal holiness, but that you will be a person who is giving yourself to justice for the socially vulnerable of the earth. And so this is crazy. Because it, these, these things don't often fit together in the world. You know, to speak very, very simplistically, you, know, you often have conservative religion that cares a whole lot about holiness and righteousness and personal values, but cares, is suspicious of social justice and, and, and is suspicious of you know, advocacy for poverty. And then on the other hand, to speak very broadly, of course, you've got liberal religion that cares deeply about social justice, but does not put the same emphasis on biblical morality and personal holiness. And, and we've got that same polarities we see everywhere in CNN and Fox News and Wall Street Journal and the New York Times and Sojourner's Magazine and Christianity Today. We see this everywhere. And James says, no, my friends, if you are really listening to the Word of God and really doing what the Word of God says, then you will never fit into the molds of the world. You will never fit into any human, political, social, Category. You will not be comporting and squeezing into the molds of the world, but that you will be someone who looks different, who is countercultural, who gives yourself to personal holiness, and who also gives yourself to justice, who gives yourself to live a life of purity, but who also gives yourself for the vulnerable of the earth. You will be someone that people do not understand because you are not living according to the models of the world. You are living according to the word of God. Don't we want to be people like that? So friends, listen, let me just review, okay? If you want to change life, you need a change relationship to the Word of God. Specifically, you need to be born of the Word. You need to let the Word of the Gospel bring you to new birth. Does it happen to you? Second, you need to be a person who listens to the Word of God, who makes a priority to listen to the Word of God as your authority in everyday life. And third, you need to be someone who actually does the Word of God, who gets up and doesn't just say, oh, that was a good thing that I learned, but who does it? Who acts because you know that Jesus wants you to be free? So we could say it this way, that the word of God brings new life, it brings new authority into your life, and it brings a new way of life. This new way of life is beautiful. We have seen again and again the way that the gospel is so different because whereas traditional religion says, live a good life and God will save you, the gospel says God has saved you, therefore live a new life. You have been set free. Jesus has died for you. Jesus has risen for you. 
Jesus has accomplished salvation for you. There is no condemnation. He's given you his spirit. You are new. Now, how shall you live? Live differently. Live according to the word of God. Live with the master, Jesus. Be his disciple. He wants you to be free. He wants you to soar. Let's do that together. We pr- let's pray. Maybe there's a thing in your life that you're convicted about today that the word of God has exposed but you have ignored, that you have not acted on. Perhaps you would bring that before God now and ask for his help. We thank you, Father, Son, and Spirit, that you have given us yourself, and then you've gone beyond that and given us your word, and then you've gone that beyond that and you've given us your spirit. Help us to be people who do not just listen, but who act, who do not just hear, but who do. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.